so Martha said, leaves me this note. This is Paul's life, this hymn. And I'm seeing it and I'm thinking of all like the cheesy stock photography of happy people. Ah. <laughs> That's the most real missionary recruiting song ever. <laughs> it's true. It's good. It's right on. Okay. So I've been saying this like, I don't know. I could probably go back to the recordings. How many times have I said that the book of Acts is an action movie? Well, the action movie begins today. Like, start the explosions, start the epic music. I mean, I guess it kind of started last week, but it definitely starts this week. So, when we last left the Apostle Paul, we were in Acts 22, and we made it all the way to Acts 22.22, okay? And um, so Paul, he goes to the temple, everybody gets mad that he's there because they really want to kill him, and every, this whole riot starts up, so the Roman police kind of drag Paul away, and he's like, hey, look, let me talk to these people and say something, and they don't know what he, he says in perfect Greek, so they're like, whoa, you're Greek, you can speak Greek, okay, so then they let him come out there, and then he starts speaking Hebrew to the whole crowd, and so as far as we know, the Greek soldiers didn't know what Paul was saying as he was speaking Hebrew to this crowd. This is thousands of people, okay? This is a crowd. This isn't like, you know, the people looting the Dollar General. This is like the Ford Center. And they're all there for this religious festival. This is, this is like, yeah, this is big. This is like um, New York Times Square when the ball drops, like, they're all there for the holiday. They're all there to celebrate. And he is addressing all of them in their native language. And when he mentions the Gentiles, they all go absolutely berserk, rip their shirts off, start throwing dirt in the air, and they riot worse than ever. And it was funny. There's one commentator I was reading. and It was like, why in the world are they throwing dirt in the air? It's because that shows they're still in the temple. So in the temple, it would be squeaky clean, just like... Like, we wouldn't look around in here and find some rocks or like a dandelion growing in the aisle. Um, they're still in the temple, but they're in the court of the Gentiles, which is the only place in the temple where the Gentiles would be allowed. And when Paul says the word Gentiles is when they all go, Rawr! and they lose their minds and they want to riot again. So they pull, this is where we stopped last week. So they pull Paul back in to the jail and they say, okay, we're just going to flog this guy and figure out why everybody's mad. That's kind of how they would work. They, they did not have a very high regard for criminals. I mean, these are the people that invented crucifixion, right? So let's drag this guy in and we're going to whip him and flog him and beat him to figure out why he's making all these people so angry, which doesn't sound fair at all, but that was how they worked. If you weren't a Roman citizen. If you were a Roman citizen, then all of the rules change. So the deal with Roman citizens, Rome was huge. Rome would take over entire nations. They would take whole villages and they would move them all to a completely different area so that you would lose your culture. You would lose your history. You would lose. We were talking this week. Why are my, my kids were asking, why are people staying in, the, in Ukraine and fighting? 
And it's like, because some of that property has been in their family for like 700 years or more. And they're like, this is my great, 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 great granddaddy's farm. And I'm not going to give it up. We don't have a concept of that, right? My family came from Ireland and Germany to Chicago and East Chicago and to the west side of Evansville a hundred years ago, not longer than that. So I, I mean, I have history, but not like the Ukrainian people have history, right? So, oh, the Romans would just take over all over the place, dislocate, move all kinds of people. But if you were a Roman citizen, you had all kinds of rights. And there were actually, this is kind of weird to think of, there were fewer people that were Roman citizens in the Roman kingdom than there were people that weren't Roman citizens. So there were so many slaves. There were so many, um, it would be comparable to sort of a, an illegal immigrant or a legal immigrant that we don't really have anything equal to it, but I'm just trying to think of how typically people think of foreigners, right? There would be more of those than there would be Roman citizens across the whole Roman Empire. And so they had all kinds of rules for the Roman citizens to protect the Roman citizens while they're surrounded by all these foreigners that are being ruled by Rome that are really in their own land. Does that make sense? Does that just sound absolutely messed up? <laughs> so they're going to whip Paul to figure out why he's causing all this trouble. And they take him in there and they put him on the rack. And the Jews had a rule. If you got whipped, this is a rule from Leviticus. If you were whipped a person as a punishment, you could only whip them 40 times. Because you wanted to preserve their dignity. So even a criminal that deserved a whipping, God put in them, we're going to preserve their dignity. Even though they're a criminal, even though they deserve, and there's a whole list of what crimes would get you whipped. So just to make sure they didn't break that law, they would have a designated counter who would sit there and watch you get whipped. And they would count, and when you got to 39 they would stop and they'd be like, we don't want to break God's law by whipping this guy more than 40 times. You would check with the counter. Are we only at 39? Be like, yes, give him one more whack. whack. That sounds terrible, right? When Paul, in one of his letters, he says, I received the 39 plus one numerous times. That's what he's talking about. He was whipped that 39 times plus one numerous times. But the Romans don't have the book of Leviticus and they don't care about Levitical law and they don't care about your dignity. And so when the Romans would whip you, they would just whip you and whip you and whip you until you're dead or until they got tired. And that's what Paul is about ready to experience. Until he says, oh, uh, this is in uh, chapter 22, verse 25. When they had him stretched out for the whips, yikes, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? I just, I love Paul's tone. 
You guys, like this whole section, Paul totally shows you how to deal with the government. He's not a freak. He's not blowing his mind and yelling and hollering. He says, oh, is it, is it a lawful for you to, to whip a Roman citizen who has no, not been condemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, what are you about to do? This guy's a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. It cost me a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. Wow. So he's like super Roman citizen. Guess what the punishment is for whipping and flogging a Roman citizen that is not condemned? Death. So if these guys whip Paul and news gets out that he's a Roman citizen, then not only will they lose their authority as governor of the area, they'll also get killed. So now they're, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All of a sudden, the other, the other kind of tables turn because they're like, we don't like all these Jewish people anyway. They're always starting riots. And if they were going to hurt you and you're a Roman citizen, we're actually on the same team. <laughs> So all of a sudden, Paul has just gone from riot starter to like, he's got the back the blue t-shirt on, right? I mean, he is all in with the Roman police now. So they're about to examine him. They withdrew from him immediately. They were all afraid. He realized Paul was a Roman citizen and they had bound him. So the next day, they're like, okay, dude, sorry. We're still going to figure this out. We're not going to let you go. We're going to still figure out what's going on. So the next day... They want to know why this is going. So they unbound him. They go to the chief priests and all of the council and they bring Paul down to meet them. So this is a council of 75 men. Some of them are Sadducees. Some of them are Pharisees. They are all the rich aristocracy of Jerusalem. These are the same guys that were supposed to meet when they killed Jesus but they only meet during the day. It's, un, it's against their rule. It's against the law for them to meet at night and to have a court at night. So the Roman guy, you know, the tribune brings them down, brings down Paul. Paul is here between these 75 guys that have the power of life and death over Paul. These, these are lawmakers. The thing is, Paul probably knows as many as half of these men because Paul grew up going to the same schools as them, studying under the same rabbis as them, if not better rabbis. So he recognizes them, he knows them, and he's not afraid. This is chapter 23. He looks intently at the council. Paul says, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I've done, I've done everything right. I have a good conscience about everything I've done. Then the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. So Paul says, I've done everything right. I have a clean conscience. The high priest says, do it. One of the guys near him punches Paul in the face. So there was a, a law that they had that in every person, is the glory of God. And so if you strike a person, 
you are striking the glory of God. And so you should never strike anybody out of anger. Isn't that wild? This was, this was in their teachings 2,000 years ago. That every person, whether they were not born yet, whatever they were, they carried the glory of God. So if you hurt them, you are hurting the glory of God. Every person, even if they were a criminal and had done wicked, evil things, they were carrying the glory of God. So if they deserved the 39 whips plus one, that was all you did and you didn't continue it. And it even says in Leviticus when it talks about that, then you do no longer dishonor them. From then on, you, you give them honor. But you're like, wait, they're crook. They deserved it. They deserved the beating. They did not deserve a, a life of never being allowed to come back to the Lord. Right? Even God did not forsake them permanently. This is the mercy of God even shows in Leviticus. Gosh. And so the glory of God is on every human life, regardless of how evil they are, because God is always giving us a second chance. And Ananias, the high priest, orders a guy to punch Paul in the face. You guys. So... He punches. Paul says to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Oh, shoot. Like, you guys. So, tombs. Tombs held dead people. And if you touched a tomb, oh, now I'm unclean. I can't do any of my religious sacrifices. I have to wait a week. I have to pay like a sheep and a cow and all this stuff because I touched a tomb and I'm unclean. How can we keep this from happening? Ah, some rabbi gets this idea. We're going to whitewash the tombs. And the whitewash is thick and it has some mass to it. Kind of like paint, only it's a little heavier duty. And so now if I touch this, I didn't touch the tomb. I touched the whitewash. So I'm not unclean. Bonus. That was how they got that rule. So if you're a whitewashed tomb, what are you? You are a box of dead man's bones artificially looking clean. So when Paul says, you whitewashed wall, he's saying you are a box of dead man's bones artificially cleaned. That is bad, right? Like, I mean, at least say something about his mother. Don't be so mean. But he goes for the jugular. You're a whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? This is the thing. You don't strike anybody. Everybody's carrying the glory of God. Those who stood by said, would you talk back to God's high priest? How dare you? <laughs> Paul does not miss a beat. Oh, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. Okay, this is like going to see the Pope and not realizing which one of those people is the Pope. Okay, the dude is, the high priest is so dressed up. He's got all the flim flam, extra everything. When Paul says, I didn't know he was the high priest, 
it's like, I, I know all the stuff that guy does, and I didn't know they made somebody like that a high priest. Right? It's like, it's like, now all that show flim flam stuff isn't what makes him the high priest. And he can't even tell that this guy's the high priest by his actions. I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So that's a Levitical law. You shouldn't speak evil of a ruler. So he's quoting the law to them that they just broke when they had him punched. So he's kind of being kind of snarky and he's kind of, you know, not afraid, not showing any intimidation. Then Paul perceives that some of these guys are Sadducees and some of these guys are Pharisees. Basically, he just figured out some of these are Democrats and some of these are Republicans. And they're all hotheads. And he's like, oh, I think I'm about ready to make this really fun. Because Paul knows this whole thing's a joke. This whole trial's a joke. He's not going to get anywhere. They're accusing him of stupid stuff that's not even, it's just all done. And so he says, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am now on trial. <gasps> so the resurrection of the dead was the hot topic that the Pharisees and the Sadducees argued about. Okay? So he mentions the one hot topic that they all disagree on, and he just plops it right there in the middle. It's like he just said, you know what? I'm just here to keep my guns. And all the Democrats went, Wah! I'm just here, my body, my choice. And all the Republicans, he just plopped that statement out into the middle. Has nothing to do with him, has nothing to do with why, why, why he's on trial. Watch what happens. I'm here because of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection, no angels, no spirit. The Pharisees party stood up, contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? All of a sudden, because he made some political statement, half of the Sanhedrin loves him and thinks he can do no wrong. And the other half wants to kill him more than ever. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't this exactly what's going on in 2022 and has been going on for the last, I don't know, 2,000 years? <laughs> instead of being nuanced, instead of trying to seek for truth, instead of having depth, somebody can just plop out a political statement and all of a sudden half the people are on your team and half the people aren't. Jesus did some of this stuff too. But I think what's funny about Paul doing it is the whole point isn't to win anybody over to the resurrection. Right now, he is not trying to win over any of those 75 people because he knows that he is supposed to go to Rome. So he is like, what's the fastest way to get through all this flim flam and to get to Rome? I know. Political hand grenade. Boop. Look what happens. They all go berserk. They all start fighting. When the decision became violent. So Paul not only turns them against each other. Now the Sanhedrin is violent opposing each other. The tribune, remember the Greek guy, the Roman leader that brought him into this in the first place? 
He's afraid that Paul is going to be torn to pieces by them. So he commands the soldiers to go down, take him away from among them by force, and bring him up into the barracks. This is exactly what happened yesterday. (laughs) The Roman police are protecting Paul now by carrying him back out. But this time, it's not this crowd of thousands. It's like the city council. It's like the city council and the council of churches are now punching each other in the face and beating each other's heads in and having this big old fight and Romans carrying him out. (laughs) You got to wonder, who is this guy? Everywhere he goes. The following night. So Paul gets taken back. (gasps) The Roman guards are like, what in the world, dude? Like, you all are crazy. Uh, Romans are tense anyway. Because about every 10 years, they have had an uprising of riots and assassins and murders because the Jewish people hate the Roman oppression by them. The Romans just hate being there. If you didn't want to work anywhere um, and you got in trouble and you got like the worst job ever, the Romans would send you to Jerusalem. It was the the bum job. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and he said, Jesus appears to Paul and he says, take courage as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. You will also testify in Rome. You are okay. I'm so encouraged by this because if it says that Jesus showed up to tell Paul to have courage, Paul needed that. So after all of this, Paul is sitting there in a jail cell thinking, what am I doing How am I going to get the word out? How am I going to preach the gospel? Am I going to get whipped? Are these guys going to kill me? And Jesus shows up. All right. Are we actually moving yet? How about 40 assassins? So now we have to introduce the 40 assassins. These guys are so mad at Paul. They make an oath before the Lord that they're not going to eat until Paul is dead. Not just him dead until they kill him. We are not going to eat. So they make this solemn oath before the Lord. They're not going to eat or drink, you guys. Like, no water bottles. Zilch. Until we kill him. They're that angry. I'm going to go through this really fast. It's really cool to read some other time. But basically, Paul has a nephew Never even heard that Paul has a family, but Paul has a nephew who's a kid. The Greek word they use for this guy is a kid. And the kid hears about this plot. And they say, look, let's have another court tomorrow. Tell them to bring Paul down to meet with us and we'll have another trial and we'll discuss it. But on the road, we are going to pounce on him and we'll kill him. And they're like, that's a great idea. And the nephew hears about that and he goes to Paul because remember, Paul's a Roman citizen. He's not, you know, in stocks. He's he's given some privileges and visitors can come. The nephew comes and tells Paul what's going to happen. Paul says, you got to go tell the tribune. This kid who's a little Jewish kid and surrounded by all these Roman police goes to the tribune, the head dude, and says, I have a message for you from Paul that's very important and I can only tell you. It says, the tribune says, come here, kid, tell me. And the kid tells him, and he's like, does anybody else know that you know this? He says, no. He says, go get out of here. Don't let anybody know, because he's worried about that kid too. 
So remember those 75 guys that were so mad they were getting violent? All those guys are mad at Paul. You got 40 guys that are not going to eat or drink until they kill Paul. What does the Roman guy do? This is just beautiful. And this is why, you guys, if we let the Lord fight our fights for us, you will always win. The Lord will always win. So remember the centurion was going to whip Paul. And I said, I think I said last week, every time you hear the word centurion, remember he's got a backup of 100 soldiers. A centurion means a leader of 100. So he gets him. He calls, uh, let's see here. The tribune, this is in Acts 23, 23. He called two of the centurions. So two centurions equals 202 army dudes. Get ready, 200 soldiers. Get 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea on the third hour of the night. So they are getting an army. They got 200. I mean, let's just count these. You got 200 guys and 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen. And a horse was like a war machine in this day. Like you could ride a donkey for transportation. You could have a cart for transportation. You could travel pretty far, pretty fast just on foot. But if you were on a horse, that was a war machine. So they got seven, basically 70 tanks, 200 infantrymen, and 200 spearmen. These are guys, yeah, I mean, they have spears, right? They're, they're a little extra. And go at the third watch of the night. This is like nine o'clock at night. Provide a mount for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter about all this. So Paul, who was a prisoner that was getting strung up to get flogged, is now riding on a horse out of Jerusalem with 70 horsed men around him protecting him, 200 foot soldiers and 200 spearmen. Because this guy knows if there's 40 Jewish guys that are going to try to kill him, that some of his soldiers are going to get killed in the process. And so he just bulks up this army around Paul. There are all these psalms, you guys, about the Lord. When we trust in the Lord, he prepares a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies. Can you imagine, you know, there's Paul. He's like two days in a row. I've almost been ripped to shreds. Everybody's angry. I want to preach the gospel in Rome. How am I going to do this? The Lord shows up and says, have courage. Don't be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid of anything. Be bold. You're going to preach in Rome. And then the kid nephew shows up and runs off and he tells the tribune. And the next thing he knows, the Romans are coming. They're like, we're getting you out of here. We're taking you to Caesarea. And he's like, all right, how are we going? He's like, that's your horse. I'm your, I'm your platoon of security. And he is seeing the Lord fulfill this. Now, could he have yelled at the Romans and told them how stupid they were for oppression? Could he have yelled at Ananias, the high priest, and spit on him and broken the law? He could have tried to fight his own fight all through all of that. But he is trusting the Lord. And look at how the Lord wins. He even gets this whole letter. So the Romans built roads, you guys, 
more than 2,000 years ago that are still intact. Like, I can't even drive down Kentucky Avenue. And the Romans built roads that are still intact. They had special, you know how uh, big cities have the commuter lane that you can only drive in if you have two people in the car or three people in the car and then you go faster? They had special parts of these roads that you could only travel on if you had a letter like this. There were inns and, and hotels, basically, and, and special hospitality houses all along the road, spaced out a day's journey. And if you had a letter like this, you could show up there and stay there for free. And so Paul is not only getting carried out on a horse, surrounded by security and army and all of this protection, he also has a letter that's a do-whatever-I-want letter, to travel on the Roman roads in the express lane, to stay at whatever hotel he wants to all the way. This is how he gets out of this. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that make you, like you think about fights that you're in or struggles that you have or, or fears that you have and you just think, oh, and you, I mean, I do this. I daydream all day how I could say this, how I could say that. And then I'd give them back and I'd say this thing. I don't think Paul ever imagined his trip from Jerusalem out would be this awesome, would be this protected and this great. And um, I, I'm going I'm to stop here. There's a whole lot you can read in here. We could do, we're going to pick up in 24 next week. But if you read 23 this week and just read it slow and look at how Paul deals with his problems, look at how Paul deals with his government, look at how Paul deals with his own people, because the Jewish people are his own people fighting against him. And in every way, he is just relying on the Lord and just being bold and, and, and courageous through all of it because he knows the Lord is there with him. That the song that we sung about just all these horrible things that, are, that can happen to you when you go and do mission work, when you're an evangelist and people turn against you. You guys, the Lord takes care of everything you need. He gives you every single thing you could ever need as you go and trust in him. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are close to us and that with all of our struggles and with all of our fears that you set a place for us to sit down and eat restfully in the presence of our enemies. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can put such confidence in you that you will protect us and care for us and guide us. Thank you so much, Lord, for all the times that I've seen in so many people's lives where you provided just what they needed at just the right time and just the right way. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we can trust in you. And I pray that we would walk with this kind of boldness and this kind of confidence and that we would see we would see your care as it happens and not, not write it off as a coincidence and not write it off as luck. We love you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.